So, I had kind of an interesting uh, week <laughs> this last week. Um, <laughs> for those of you who know, I got married last Saturday. <laughs> Thank you. And um, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. And um, I won't go into the detail of it at this moment, but uh, this talk hasn't been on my mind, <laughs> as you <laughs> may imagine. And so as, the, as things happened and then ended, and, uh, you know, the ecstasy and then the laundry, as that goes... <laughs> Uh, and we began to move back into our lives, and relatives came and they went, and I realized, oh, I'm giving the talk on Thursday. Um, and I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll give a talk on love or metta or the importance of family and community or maybe something on ritual or all these things. And as I thought about them, um, nothing really sank in. It was really interesting. Usually how I come up with my topics for the evening when I do give talks here on Thursday is that there's something that's alive for me and it really uh, connects. And then I know, oh, that's what I'm going to talk about. And nothing came. <laughs> and I thought, well, this is really interesting. And as the days got closer and closer and nothing came. And so I thought, well, maybe it's just the the topic of not knowing, just the unknown. And I thought, ooh, that sounds pretty good. And, and, <laughs> and it resonated actually in a very deep way, just having gone through this beautiful ceremony with my, my husband, Sean, and, um, and my family, and uh, uh, being blessed and also um, committing in a way that is committing to the love that we have right now and committing to the intention to allow that to flourish and continue for our lives. Um, And there's always this dharmic truth that sets in of don't know. We don't know. And so that that was very much alive for me and for him. And and, um, James did the ceremony, and so it was a part of our conversation, the three of us together, and preparing for this. And um, there's something very sweet in that don't know. And so I thought that I would talk a little bit about that this evening, becoming more and more comfortable with not knowing, not knowing what comes next, not knowing how even the sit will be. You know, you all came here and you sat down and maybe or maybe not, you had some kind of idea of what that sit was going to be like. Oh, I'm feeling so grounded and calm today. I'm going to have the greatest sit. And then, you know, (laughs) your mind happens or you get distracted. Or maybe you were feeling so distracted before you came in or you've got a lot going on in your life and you're thinking, oh, I can't even imagine sitting still and being quiet. And then you do And then it just gets still, and it gets quiet. So we just don't know. We don't have that level of control over life and over events and what's going to happen to us and the people around us. We don't. We don't know. So as I was preparing for this talk of I don't know, I came up with 
usually what I do first is I kind of look at different suttas and see, you know, okay, what did the Buddha say about all this? And I'll look up more contemporary uh, uh, writers and poets and things like that and just start to compile uh, on the topic. And so I have a few things here, but really nothing for in between. (laughs) The content never really came. And so as I was driving over here with Sean and saying, boy, this is not good. (laughs) I'm giving a a talk on don't know, but I really don't know what I'm going to (laughs) say. And he said, well, you could give a talk on emptiness. And I said, yeah, emptiness of content. (laughs) And I thought, well, maybe when I sit, something will come. Oftentimes, as I'm sitting up here, that's when quite a bit of my talk comes together. I don't know if that happens to some of you. Someone was saying just before that that was, even though they don't teach and they don't give talks that uh, on Dharma, um, that that often is where they write the best Dharma talks is <laughs> while they're sitting there. And so even just sitting here and thinking about it, nothing really came. So <laughs> here we are. And it's kind of an interesting experience being up here in front of you all. And I think that this is, it's actually a very authentic um, unraveling of the truth of not knowing. Not knowing what's going to happen next. Not knowing what I might say next. And what is our comfort level with that, you know? So for me, in just the anticipation of not knowing was much worse than it actually is in this moment. But just this this feeling of needing to have a level of perfection while talking about anything in front of a group of people. Um, Especially when you're sitting up here and you've got all of the Buddhas and the Devas looking after you and there's family in the audience and and many of you whom I don't know. And uh, the mind can do interesting things with all of that pressure, creating pressure to be a certain something. And so here we are, and I have no content. It's really kind of a profound thing. I will read you, I'll read you a quote. This is from Gilda Radner. Radner. She says, I wanted a perfect ending. Now I've learned the hard way that some poems don't rhyme and some stories don't have a clear beginning, middle, and end. Life is about not knowing, having to change, taking the moment and making the best of it without knowing what's going to happen next. Delicious ambiguity. We spend a lot of time trying to know. We spend a lot of time preparing ourselves, coaching ourselves, perfecting ourselves in a way to create stability, to create uh, a sense of who we are to create a persona that uh, will allow others to have a sense of who we are in the light that we hope that they will see us in. We spend a lot of time on this. And sometimes this is um, skillful, you know. Take the Dharma, for example. Practicing the Dharma, reading about the Dharma, um, learning as much as we can. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, In fact, it can be incredibly helpful to have a uh, foundation of our understanding just by study. And this is traditionally actually uh, how it's been done in more contemporary times. Um, There's most of the practice in Southeast Asia is study. 
and not practice. You might be surprised to hear that. I know that I, I spent some time in Asia, in Thailand, and the majority of the monks that were um, there were not practicing meditation, but were actually very much engaged in sutta study or studying uh, the texts of the Buddha. And there's nothing wrong with that, but the Buddha himself actually discouraged this type of narrow view by simply uh, feeling like you know by uh, reading and studying. Um, Especially if your motivation to do so was to become something in the eyes of others. Um, And so you might just reflect on different areas in life where we might do that. to to create that sense of security in who we are by padding our insecurity with um, knowledge, or what we call knowledge. The Buddha talked about the importance then of moving from study into practice to understand how things really are, the truth of things, not because you read it in a book, but because you really understood it for yourself. Uh, come see for yourself. This is one of the key principles of this practice, that don't believe it just because I'm saying it or because James says it or because you wrote, read it in the suttas or in one of Jack Cornfield's books or whatever. Um, all of that can be really entertaining, and it can touch something in us. Oh, yeah, I think that's true. But until we actually practice it and understand it, we just... Uh, we're not really touching the essence of it. Um, I believe it comes from the Buddhist tradition, but maybe not, uh, where this idea that um, uh, our finger pointing at the moon is not the moon itself. So the teachings that are pointing to the truth are not the truth themselves. And we can't actually understand them until we've experienced them and practiced them. And so coming into this practice with a don't-know mind is actually very helpful. The minute we're an expert, there's nothing more to learn, right? Suzuki Roshi wrote a wonderful book entitled entitled, uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. This, This mentality of we're always a beginner, this idea that Uh, the perfection of this practice doesn't come from up here, understanding intellectually this is how things are. It doesn't come from settling in and being comfortable with the little that we know so far, even the little that we've experienced. Uh, It's about continuing the practice, continuing our exploration. One of the things that we do know is true is that things are always changing, so the moment we have a formed opinion on this is how things are, this is what it is, this is true, it's time to start to question that. It's time to give it another look. Uh, the suttas say, uh, talk about this, saying that the Buddha uh, says that the Dharma is taught for the Enlightenment, or the, sorry, the elimination of all view positions, determinations, biases, inclinations, and obsessions. So the elimination of all view positions. Even those that we would consider Buddhist, right? 
for the stilling of all fabrications, for the relinquishment of all acquisitions, the ending of craving, dispassion, cessation, unbinding. So letting go of these ideas, these um, truths that maybe are pretty old, ones that aren't so relevant anymore, but we've hung on to them for so long, they're so comfortable, they're like that old uh, tattered blanket that we've had forever, or that sweater that we just love to wrap ourselves in and feel cozy. These types of truths that aren't really true anymore, but they feel good, they're familiar, and so we go back to them, or we fall back into them starting to question, starting to become comfortable with not knowing. This is by uh, a quote from Ajahn Sumedho. Um, He says, The practice of letting go is very effective for minds obsessed by compulsive thinking. You simplify your meditation practice down to just two words, letting go. Rather than try to develop this practice and then develop that and achieving this and go into that and understand this and read the suttas and study the Abhidhamma and then learn Pali and then Sanskrit, then the Mudimakya and then the Prajnaparamita, get ordinations in the Hinayana, Mahayana, Vajrayana, write books and become a world-renowned authority on Buddhism. (laughs) Instead of becoming the world's expert on Buddhism and being invited to great international Buddhist conferences, just let go, let go, let go. I did nothing but this for about two years. Every time I tried to understand or figure things out, I'd say, let go, let go, until the desire would fade out. So I'm making it very simple for you to save you from getting caught in incredible amounts of suffering. There's nothing more sorrowful than having to attend international Buddhist conferences. (laughs) So we we get a little carried away, (laughs) don't we, in this becoming. Because it's comfortable. It's that warm coziness, our becoming. You know... So we take something as pure and beautiful as, as the Dharma of, of just being with, of letting go, of just being here, being present right now, right now. This is it. And we can make it into this whole thing of, wow, this is really it. This is amazing. Boy, I should tell someone about this. I should become a teacher. I know what I should do. I should talk to so-and-so because they became a teacher or they know how to get there. And then I'll study. I'll study really hard. I don't have much that I'm doing in December. December's the month. I'm going to study. I'm going to read all the... I mean, we do this to ourselves. And of course, um, it is. It's just that warm, comfy blanket that's so irrelevant to the moment. All that's happening is right here, right now. We don't need to know. We don't need to become anything in this moment. We already have become quite a bit. Thank you. You're here. There's a self here. You, you, you are here. Um, but we don't need to add to it. In fact, a lot of what we're doing here is unlearning. We're unlearning all of this stuff. 
unlearning our habit of becoming again and again and again, unlearning our habit of trying to compartmentalize and, and uh, squeeze our world into this tiny little box of this is what's true right now. Uh, we're, we're trying to unlearn our insecurity of not knowing that this is really okay. I, uh, I, one thing that did come up in the meditation as I was hoping something would come up uh, for this talk was a memory of not that long ago, a few years ago. Well, I guess it was more than a few years ago, maybe five years ago. Um, I began having these symptoms that uh, were really uncomfortable. I was breaking out on my face in this horrible rash. My immune system was incredibly depleted. I would get sick. Um, I was constantly sick. Every time I encountered someone who had a cold or a flu, I got it immediately. Um, And no one could tell me what it was. And it was really scary. And uh, I felt weak. I felt tired. My... um, uh, I, I wasn't hungry. Um, my appetite was really bizarre. And, um, and I was losing a lot of weight. And it was just, it was a really scary time for me. And no one could tell me what it was. And so I was living this life of don't know in a very intense way. And I imagine that many of you have experienced moments like this, whether it was with illness or just uncertainty loss of job, loss of relationship. Um, I don't know what's going to come next. I don't even know what's happening right now. (laughs) Okay, yeah. And so what do we do with that? What sutta do we read that tells us what to do with that? You know, what Jack Kornfield book is going to make it okay? (laughs) I love Jack's book, but I, I don't think the answers are actually in there. The answers are in here, in, in us. Our ability to come back and turn towards what's happening right now. I don't know. Can I be at ease with that don't know in this moment? It took about eight months to finally get a diagnosis of what I had, which ended up being parasites that I had picked up in Asia and went through a really horrendous treatment to get rid of it. And it took about a year, actually, after that for the symptoms to fully leave and my immune system to come back online. Um, but it was, it was a very scary time of just not knowing. And I remember moments where I just felt like, I can't go on like this. This is not a way to live. I, don't, I can't imagine. Of course, my mind catastrophized it into the future of this is how it'll always be. It'll never change. It's always going to be this way. And for some of us, there's truth to that with illness, that sometimes it goes on and on for the extension of our life. And for others, it's not true. And we just don't know. There's just no way of knowing. And so I remember having these thoughts and really having to work with that, sitting with it, facing it, um, trying as best I could to come to terms with it. I don't know that I ever fully came to terms with it, 
um, and especially considering the short period of time that I was experiencing this, this, all this discomfort and illness. Um, but I remember that being certainly the practice in that moment. How do I come to ease with not knowing? How do I relax into that which I can't figure out? Can I be okay with that? Can I just trust that I can do that much? Joseph Goldstein has um, a really nice analogy, and it's very visual for me, that I remember uh, being somewhat of a refuge in, in exploring this comfort and understanding of not knowing. And that is of... Uh, being in, in a time in your life where you're experiencing the unknown. And um, it's very much like jumping out of a plane and then realizing that you don't have a parachute. And just imagining the fear that com- comes with not knowing. We've all experienced this at some point or another that incredible uncertainty, it goes to the core of us. Uh, It goes to a place of survival. Um, Just our most basic needs sometimes get uh, um, disturbed by just the thought of not knowing. I don't know. And so incredible fear can take over and worry. And so that's when we go into planning mode, into doing mode, Uh, figuring out mode. But uh, Joseph then goes on to say, it's like jumping out of a plane without a parachute. And there you are tumbling to the ground, or what you think is the ground, and then realizing as you look below you that there is no ground, that there's nowhere to fall. And so here we all are, in some sense, just tumbling through life tumbling through experience. There's no net, but there's also no ground. There's nothing that we're going to hit and go splat. But it can feel that way. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, at some point we're not going to go through something horrendous and hit rock bottom, but even rock bottom isn't the bottom, is it? And sometimes we get up from that and sometimes we don't. But as long as our hearts are beating, uh, we can experience this groundlessness. So this experience of not knowing, can we come into comfort and ease with not knowing? And so I'm kind of talking about it in these big ways of illness and loss, um, And when we talk about it in those ways, it's a little hard to swallow. How do we come to ease with not knowing in those moments? And so sometimes the practice of letting go uh, is best practiced first in the little things, in just the small moments of sitting here, sitting in meditation, noticing that in one moment you are planning your day, you're going through your checklist, of to-dos, and then reminding yourself, oh, don't know, let go. Just let go, be here. 
This is it. This is all there is right now, is this breath, this sensation. And then as the mind begins to unravel and, and go into its imagination and its story, again, bringing it back, let go, let go, let go. And seeing if you can have comfort in that. Can I just stay present? Or do I just need as the compulsion to know and to figure out and to work it all out uh, just so strong that I can't help but do it? And so noticing that, noticing our tendencies and not giving up, seeing that even in that, let go, let go. By simply bringing awareness to the mind and its tendencies uh, helps some kind of, helps to bring some kind of relaxation, some kind of awareness that's bigger than that small self that just needs that comfort of knowing. Something larger in us. It's really the wisdom. It's not ours. It's not even us. It's just wisdom. Knowing, oh, look at that. There I am again. Working it all out as if I could. As if this script that's going through my mind that this is what I'm going to say to this person is actually what I'm going to say to this person and this is how the conversation's going to go. Let go. Let go. I don't know. That's okay. So what I, I think we might do is explore this a little bit. Um, I'd like you to close your eyes or look downward and just go in for a moment. And I'd like you to take time to reflect on what is it that is happening in your life or maybe it's a recurring theme that has run through your life for some time, that you notice there's real discomfort in not knowing. There's a little bit of tension that arises in the idea of not figuring it out. Perhaps it's just what you're doing tomorrow. Perhaps it's what you're doing with your life. Perhaps it's something going on with your body, your health. Perhaps it's in relationship with another. And there might be a number of things that pop up into your mind. And some of them might seem completely untouchable. There's no way that you can be with it with ease of not, with the ease of not knowing. And that's okay. Perhaps there's something else, though, that comes up. And you think, oh, I could let go into that. And so start with that, bringing that into mind. 
And if, it's, if the words letting go, let go is helpful for you, you can repeat those in your mind. Or it might even just be the relaxation of the body as you are bringing this event or person or circumstance to mind. There's no need also to have the expectation that the feeling of letting go has to last. Just for this moment, can there be ease with not knowing? Can I let go into the truth of, oh, this is just how it is right now in this moment? or in this point in my life. Okay. And then the next reflection, you can take a deep breath in and a deep breath out just to clear that reflection. And then we'll move to the next reflection, which is, to reflect on your past, on, to, on something that you could have never anticipated that uh, turned out to be really wonderful, something that's happened to you that um, you couldn't have planned for, couldn't have maybe even predicted Maybe it's an event. Maybe it's someone in your life. Maybe it's just who you are today. And so as you reflect on that, just noticing how that feels in the body and in the mind. Is there a natural relaxing into the truth of this? This is how it worked out. How wonderful. I couldn't have written that script. Maybe it even came out of turmoil and difficulty. But this is how it is now. Perhaps a blessing in disguise. And then take a deep breath in and a deep breath out just to clear that. And what I'd like you to do, and you can kind of see how you're feeling about this, but I'd, I'd like you to turn to one or two people next to you and just share together what came up for you. You're welcome to just sit in and listen if you feel like passing or If you don't want to share all of it, that's just fine. If you'd like to just sit in silence, that's also okay. But this can be a really nice way, as we found in past uh, evenings, to just connect with each other around this idea and this, this practice of not knowing. So go ahead and turn towards one or two people. And uh, you can begin by introducing yourself.
And then go ahead and take a few minutes each to share what it was that you uh, were thinking about, reflecting on. Just a few minutes each. Okay. <sighs> I have a feeling we could have kept going, huh? It's <laughs> a big topic. Wonderful. Well, um, th- would anyone care to share just what came up for you or uh, any questions that you have that came up for you? Oh, good. Okay. There you go. Thank you. I injured my foot, so I'm not going to stand up. But That's okay. You know, when you said, uh, well, can you, the script part and what comes up for you, something that you've never thought you'd experience. And I thought, well, this moment. <laughs> I never dreamt that I would um, be here listening to my daughter give this... Uh, <laughs> profound, wonderful, spiritual, deep talk. I mean, that's just not something I could have predicted. You know, you look and you hope, but (laughs) it's a wonderful thing. I'm real proud, and uh, it really, everything you said really spoke to me. So Mm -hmm. glad you were listening all those years. Uh, This is my first time here. Um, Even though you didn't have a plan, I thought that was so beautiful how well that worked (laughs) with the theme. And I also just want to say thank you because I resonated with so many things you said. Mm. I'm just tearing up thinking about it, um, just saying it, because I have been struggling so much lately. So I'm just so happy to be here where I feel like understood. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I know you're not alone here too. And maybe just to normalize the humanness, the difficulty that we experience in this life. How many of you are going through something right now where this is resonating? This just, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Thank you. Carrie. Hi. Hi, Kate. I'd love to know your thoughts on how to reconcile the, the don't know place with the realities of having to make practical decisions yeah. around life yeah. decisions. Yeah. It's a great question because... It feel it sounds like it's in conflict, right? You know, okay, well, if I'm going to settle into don't know, then, you know, how do I go grocery shopping? <laughs> 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 or other things. 
And um, it can seem like it's in conflict, but actually it's not. And this is where, um, when we begin to understand really the middle way, which is another key part of this practice, is coming again, over and over again, to this middle way of not going into extremes. So, you know, it could be easy to um, interpret this idea of not knowing and letting go and non-self into, great, I'll just sit like a blob on the couch and life will just happen to me. Not that that's what you're saying, but, you know, that's an extreme, right? And, of course, we're giggling because that can't be right. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. And um, and then there's perhaps this other extreme of, you know, forcing and, and getting ourselves into enlightenment or, you know, whatever the goal is um, of feeling like we can control it as if we could control it. Um, And so coming somewhere in between into this middle way where we make our shopping list and we, you know, plan to get to the supermarket and we know our route, we know how we're going to get there. You know, if you've got kids, okay, I got to start at earlier to get them into the car seat and you know this was this is my plan um and then not being so incredibly thrown when the plan doesn't work out uh, <laughs> i don't know where it comes from i think it's a, a jewish uh story and maybe if someone this sounds familiar someone can correct me maybe james tells the story i don't know where i'm getting this from but uh, about a, uh, a rabbi who's walking, who walks through uh, the village every day and he goes from, I believe it's his home, to the synagogue every single day and he takes the same route every day. And, and uh, the uh, sheriff or the, the um, policeman or whoever it is who's kind of in charge of, of the town watches him every day and it kind of gets on his nerves that, okay, he's doing it every day. And every day he yells out, and says, Rabbi, where are you going? And the rabbi will say, I don't know. <laughs> and, he, and he goes, you know, of course, and then he goes to the synagogue, and then he comes back, and every day it's the same question. question uh, rabbi, where are you going? I don't know. <laughs> and uh, finally, the, the jailer or the sheriff just can't take it anymore, and he, he has an idea of what he's going to say, and he says, Rabbi, today, where are you going? And he says, I don't know. And he says, that's it. I, you're lying to me. I don't know what you're up to. And he takes him and he starts to bring him to jail. He says, I feel like you need a night in jail. And he brings him to the jail and is about to throw him in. And he says, see, I had no idea. <laughs> and so it's kind of like that, where we can make our plans and have an idea. And of, of course, we can plan for our future there's nothing wrong with that. There's, it's, it is. It's practical, and, and we do need to do that. Um, and doing it with this larger view of, I just, I haven't a clue how this is going to work out. You know, I don't, I don't know uh, how, you know, if I'm going to get there. I don't know what will happen with this job. I don't know who I'll be in 10 years. Um, I don't even know if I'll be here in 10 years. So just coming into contact with this don't know, 
I just don't know. This level of not really being able to control as much as we would like. Does that kind of, yeah, planning's okay. It's when we get really stuck in it. And we do that. We've probably all experienced that when our day just isn't going the way we planned. Or maybe it's just our life isn't going the way that we planned. And we can really feel trapped in that. There's a feeling of being trapped. And all options seem to disappear because we were so set on my way or the highway. And then it's not. And then we experience intense dukkha, intense suffering because of that. So in comes the flexibility of, I don't know. Yeah. I was thinking about the connection between not knowing and being clear at the same time. It can be paradoxical. Mm -hmm. And how sometimes not knowing can be a defense Mm. against taking action mm-hmm. from clarity. Yeah, so there's two questions that, there. Right? Yeah, so the first question, um, it seems like a paradox, this n- not knowing and also clarity, being clear, knowing, right? Um, and uh, as we develop in our practice, uh, there, is, there are things that we begin to know There are things that we begin to know, the truth of things. But these are things that um, are steeped in not knowing, in the the truth of change. The truth of things are always changing. Things are not permanent. They are impermanent, everything. Uh, And even that statement, we get to question that sometimes. Um, I remember... uh, Gil Fronsdale once saying in a talk, I don't remember the context, the before and the after, but saying that um, that we can even find stability in instability. You know that there's there's um, a knowing that we can have in the fact that we just don't know. So there's truth there, clarity there. Yeah, I don't know. There's truth there. And then uh, as we go through and we practice more and more and our wisdom starts to know more than just our intellectual brain knows. And the wisdom uh, that starts to cultivate starts to know more. We begin to have more clarity. Uh, We begin to understand and more and more relaxing and letting go into the unknown becomes actually more comfortable. It makes more sense. It's uh, more accessible I think. Um, So I guess that's part of an answer to your question, which is a great question and actually one that could make, could be another evening of of discussion and exploration. Um, And then your other question was, tell me again. Defense. Yeah, not knowing, being a defense for inaction. Yeah. Is it coming from something that's that's specific? That question. Not knowing. That'll help me too. Just for me, passivity and not knowing. um, Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. also kind of get m- muddled together. Uh-huh. Um, and taking action also uh, is a courageous thing. Not knowing is a courageous thing, but also uh, taking a stand is courageous. So that's also... Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So this this not knowing, of course, I think when we don't take a stand, when we don't take action, it's actually not the not knowing. It's the fear that comes with our discomfort with not knowing. Um, it's the fear that sometimes will keep us passive. Buddhism often looks like a very passive uh, practice. Uh, I would challenge that highly. Um, Just the fact, just sitting here, even though we're quiet, well, externally, (laughs) internally it might be a totally different scenario, but really what you're being asked to do is not passive. You're being asked to do something that's incredibly courageous and difficult, which is to turn towards the difficulty, to turn towards experience, to make contact with it, with your attention, to be present with it and to stay present with it. I can't think of anything that would be more courageous than that, to do it over and over again for long periods of time and to notice when you're not doing it and to come back from that. Oh, I just went away again. Okay, let's bring it back and to keep doing that. There is an outward expression of that in this practice as well. So as we begin to develop that capacity to face and be with the difficulties um, with compassion, with openness, with a heart that can really hold all that life has to offer, which is the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, we are able to do so. Um, so I think that when we are being passive and, we, and maybe some of it is because we, we just don't know or how, what to do or um, we don't know if we can handle it or we don't know what that will look like or we don't know who will back us up, um, we don't know what the outcome will be. Um, but if we know what's right and we know, um, you know, what is true coming from our understanding of virtue and right action, um, what's coming from the response of an open heart, a heart that's filled with compassion and metta um, and equanimity, then the natural response is to act. So to not act is simply fear and, and not knowing, and, or not knowing but not understanding, <laughs> non-clarity. Um, is that helpful? Okay. Great. So maybe uh, just this last one. Great. Oh, coming from a different tradition, there's a Zen master named uh, Daisansani, which means great Zen master in Korean. And... Uh, he was your typical Zen master, kind of short guy with wear the robes, and he had this wonderful kind of carved Zen master stick, and he would look you in the face and say, if the sky is blue, I hit you, and if the sky is not blue, I hit you, and look fiercely at you. <laughs> and he was in America for a long time, but he never lost his you know, thick Korean accent. And uh, his meditation instructions were, on the in-breath, notice thinking, thinking, and the out-breath, don't know. He says, just keep... Just keep, don't know mind, which is, yeah, coming from what you're talking about. And he would interact with, you know, people after he gives a Dharma talk, and sometimes he'd ask a certain question, and, uh, yeah. 
what about something or other? And the person would say, I don't know. Correct. <laughs> Correct. He was great. He died, he died a couple of years ago. Mm. He was very sweet. Thank you, Ernie. <laughs> That's great. Wonderful. I, I think we'll, we'll end with that. I do have... Um, actually, I'll, I'll end with um, a poem. You all know this one. It's uh, The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. And I recently... Um, we, we mostly were familiar with the last uh, few sentences, the last few phrases, stanzas, but um, actually the poem really is about this, this challenge that we often face of not knowing which way to go and the fear that can arise of taking the wrong path um, as if the path that we end up choosing could be other than it is. And so I'll leave you with Robert Frost. Two roads diverged into a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for the passing there, had warned them really about the same. In both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trotted black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads, to, leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. So let's just sit for a moment. So to end, we... Um, partake in the tradition of dedicating the merit, which really is a time to acknowledge the practice that we've cultivated here together, the time that we've spent here together in this very wholesome activity. Uh, We dedicate the merit to ourselves uh, that this may uh, increase our clarity Increase our comfort with the unknown. Uh, Increase our opening of the heart towards that which we just can't predict. That which we don't have control over. And then we acknowledge that this practice and this um, coming into contact with the unknown and more and more relaxing into it This practice uh, in clarity is not just for us. It's really for the other people in our lives. It's for the people in our community. It's for the people that we come into contact with and maybe don't know so well. It's really for all beings everywhere because this practice and a group like this 
practicing together has a ripple effect that, again, we just can't understand. A ripple effect that goes out into the world and has an effect in a way that we just can't understand. And so with that in mind, we'll just take a moment of silence. And if you'd like to dedicate your practice to someone specific or maybe to all beings, you can say that internally to yourself. Or if you'd like to say it out loud, we'll, we can do that together. I'll begin by saying that I would like to dedicate uh, the merit this evening to Reverend Hungshur's mother, who, uh, Reverend Hungshur, if you haven't met him before, is uh, the resident abbot here. He's the, um, the head monk here in this monastery who has been incredibly supportive of our community. Uh, and his mother passed away uh, today, and so my thoughts are with her and with him, and uh, I'd like to dedicate uh, my practice this evening to, to her and to her family. And I'll be quiet, and if you would like to dedicate it to someone, you may. Oh, may this practice be for all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy and content in their lives. May all beings be healthy in their mind and body. May all beings be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings be touched by the truth of how things are. Thank you for your attention.